welcome everyone to this week's episode of Scattered. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter one to two today. Um, previously, we looked at the book of Ezra, and actually it's important to try and look at Ezra and Nehemiah all as one, as the author is thought to be the same author, and actually historically the books have always been seen as one. Um, so in the book of Ezra, we saw initially in chapters one to six, a first wave of exiles coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And that was very hopeful and, um, but also had some disappointments and mixed results at the end. Um, and then in Ezra chapter seven to 10, there was, uh, Ezra was the key guy and he attempted to bring spiritual revival amongst the exiles. And, but again, there was, it began with hope and like a good expectation of things to come, but there were mixed results with opposition from outside and also just failure from, um, God's people. So here in Nehemiah, the first seven chapters, we'll be looking at Nehemiah now coming to Jerusalem and building uh, the walls and rebuilding the people. And we'll look at, yeah, look at what happens in this narrative. <laughs> Let's start with a little bit of context. Did you guys look at when this book was written and yeah. yeah, so I think it's 13 years since Ezra had returned to um, Jerusalem. And so we're 13 years on. And in the context of the whole Bible, I learned when I was geeking out yesterday that actually, even though this book comes in the middle of the Old Testament, it is the last piece of history that happened before then the 400 years of silence until Jesus came. So, yeah, come, we're 13 years after Ezra, and it's the last thing that we know historically to happen before Jesus. And that's really <laughs> significant because this is, yeah, the last word that the people have had in preparation for the fulfillment through through Jesus. So it's very, it's like, yeah, something that's will be important for God's people. I'm missing Helen though, because I'd like to know why it's in the middle of our Old Testament and why it's not at the end. And I feel like <laughs> she would have known that, but she's not at the end. So sorry. Can <laughs> send you questions to her specifically? <laughs> well, I also asked that actually. And oh, actually, <laughs> chronologically, the book of Chronicles was written after Nehemiah. So historically, this is like the last book in in terms of the timing of what was happening but then apparently Ezra and Nehemiah were written and then afterwards Chronicles Chronicles was written so yeah <laughs> there's yeah, lots so of questions they were arranged in the order they were written rather than the order that things happened yeah so um there's the Torah which is the first five books and then afterwards it's the other narrative books are placed together and then after that is basically the Psalms and then other prophetic books that reference back to different places in the narrative history. Okay, so it's genre-based rather than historically based. Thank you. Yes. 
So what do we learn about uh, Nehemiah? Well, chapter one, verse one says he's the son of Hakaliah. Um, we know as well from the beginning uh, from these chapters that he's a cupbearer for the king of Persia at the time. And a cupbearer, we've heard of that before in the Bible because um, it comes up in Joseph's story as well. The cupbearer was like a really high up, trusted official uh, in a king's court. They would have um, given the king all his food. Some people say they would have tasted his wine and stuff before the king ate it so that um, it didn't know, you know, if anyone was trying to kill the king, then they'd get the cupbearer instead. Um, and the cupbearer would have been someone who was, yeah, like sometimes the king would have gone to him for advice, like it, there would be quite a close relationship between them. So yeah, this is just an ordinary guy, I think. I don't think he's got, we don't hear much about his lineage or history, but we know that he is uh, one of God's people who has worked his way up into quite an important position in the Persian court. And I guess the other thing that I thought on the back of that is he's got quite a lot of security, isn't he? So he's in the court, he's with the king, he's got a really nice, comfortable life. So yeah, he's a servant, but he's um yeah, he's got a very comfortable, secure existence. Also, like he I think even though he's doing well in kind of a worldly sense, I think his heart is still in Jerusalem. Like I think we see that from the beginning, like when his brother comes back from Judah. Um, he's obviously worried and concerned about what's happening in Jerusalem. So even though like we might think, oh, he's doing so well, like he, you know, he, he doesn't really care about God and his people. Actually, we see straight away that he really does. Yeah. So what what does he learn from his brother? Bad news that things in Jerusalem are going really badly. Um, there's great trouble and shame, it says in my version for the exiles that are back in Jerusalem and um, the walls have broken down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So something I read said, basically Jerusalem is very vulnerable and very alone. And so things have not gone well after we leave the narrative. So the, the 13 years um, that have elapsed have been troublesome for those exiles that have returned. Yeah, because mm. remember it's in those days where like a city without a wall was just vulnerable to attack all the time because it was in those days where other you know tribes other peoples would just come without a second's notice and just sweep through kill all the <laughs> you know kill all the men take all the women and children you know like it was that kind of day and age so to not have you know we might be like oh well Manchester doesn't have a big wall but actually walls were really important in those days so after um Nehemiah hears from his brother he is like very troubled um and he sits down and weeps and mourns for days it says and just he continues fasting and praying um and then he he says a he like his prayer is quite uh is detailed before us what what sort of things does nehemiah say in his prayer um yeah firstly about god um, the thing that struck me first was his focus on God in heaven. And so he, his first thought, and this has been really helpful for me this week, actually. There's, I heard something last week that said there's no um, chaos in heaven. In heaven, God is seated on his throne and he's ruling and reigning. And just how helpful it is 
for Nehemiah to remember that at the beginning of his prayer, that God's ruling and reigning in heaven. And that almost just settles. Well, that's been really helpful to settle my heart this week. Mm. And I just think that sort of adoration. So I guess that's the posh word that he's his prayer starts with adoring who God is and call, bringing to mind who God is. Um, and that just really helps give you perspective, doesn't it, when you pray? And so, yeah, he's really troubled and upset. But he, the first thing he does is set his heart and his mind on who God is. And my hashtag this week, we, this week's been there's no chaos in heaven. And when he kind of draws on who God is, he especially focuses on God being covenant keeping and steadfast, which I think is really important here like he draws on the mosaic covenant doesn't he um and you know kind of tells god who he is like who god is which quite a lot of good prayers in the bible do um like you are this and so therefore please have mercy um i mean god doesn't need reminding who he is but it's kind of it it's showing that we trust that he is who he says he is um and then he kind of he doesn't gloss over the responsibility of Israel for the position that they're in. Like God's people are far from home because of sin. Um, and also like personally, he, he talks about his own sin, doesn't he? Um, and I just think, yeah, he's just very honest and vulnerable with God. I was struck by, um, you know, I am helpless. I'm upset in this situation, but you are steadfast and you're a covenant keeping God. And you've said, um that you will scatter us and then bring them back bring us back so come on god yeah the contrary that contrast between who god is and who he is is really stark isn't it and like mary said he's really happy to own both and it, it, this is a little bit like ezra isn't it because in one of ezra's prayers he holds he, yeah he owns corporate guilt so i we talked about this in ezra but it's similar isn't it that whole idea of Yes, Nehemiah himself is guilty before God and sinful, but he's also prepared to stand on behalf of all the people's sin as well and own that because there's a sense in which he's affected by all that guilt. Kind of reminds me of the Psalms a bit, the way the psalmist often kind of lifts his eyes from his situation and his turmoil to God and then kind of calls God out for, for who he is and his ability to change that situation or at least yeah give him strength for that situation but then when he comes and asks god like because i guess that's the third thing he does he brings an appeal that appeal is in line with god's big story isn't it so he really knows his bible and he knows the promises that god's made and so the the appeal he brings to for god to help um restore Jerusalem is because of the promises God's already made mm. and so he's not bringing please would you do this for me but he's placing that appeal isn't he within God's big sweep of the big story of what God's promised and what God's going to do to for the sake of his own name and so I found that really challenging as well that he places himself and his part of the story within the big promises that God's made and the big thing that God is going to do yeah and like along with that like he obviously has been dwelling in the scriptures um in this time and he because each of the different the ways he uses to describe god are seen like 
over and over again he quotes from Exodus and Deuteronomy and it's like echoes of what has already come before and yeah so it's like a, a beautiful reminder that he's probably been dwelling on the scriptures and thinking about God's promises and then this comes naturally when he comes to pray to God he can just um yeah refer back to all the promises that he's made and the confidence he has on um who God is mm. and I read somewhere that this was for four months like this praying wasn't just for a couple of days but it was a sustained period of fasting and prayer um for four months yeah because the I think that's so the months that are mentioned so in chapter the beginning of chapter one it talks about the month of Chislev and then the beginning of chapter two it talks about the month of Nissan. So I think that's meant to place it as about four months between the two. Like that's committed, isn't it? Let's be honest, four months of praying and fasting. Mm. Yeah, so let's start having a look at chapter two. So for four months, he's sort of been withholding his emotions before the king, but in private, he's been mourning and weeping and praying before God. And then now he starts to reveal his emotions uh, to the king what what kind of you know what is he risking um with with doing this so in those days apparently it was forbidden to be sad in the presence of the king um so it was kind of thought that the king was so amazing that to be sad in his presence was like saying he wasn't amazing so actually <laughs> Ne Nehemiah entering his presence looking sad could have been really dangerous for him. I mean, we we know about Persian kings. They kill people at the drop of a hat. So, yeah, just Nehemiah even being vulnerable with this king could have meant pretty dire consequences for him. And it's worth saying, isn't it, that this is the same king that had stopped, had written an edict to stop the building work that was going on in Ezra. Mm. And so this king's got a history with this project. And so, yeah, it, we, we see, don't we? If I had my glasses on, I could tell you what verse it was, but he admits that he's very fearful in bringing this to the king. Uh, yeah, what verse is that? Verse two. Verse two, yeah. Thank you. So the king then, set, you know, notices his sadness and he expresses his fear. What then does he say to the king? Well, I guess the first thing he does is pray. He, like you just sense, don't you, that I guess his fear is real. And so he is praying before he even speaks in this moment. Um, And then he does all the things that you do to big up the king, which I guess to us, I just read that and think, oh, stop sucking up. But mm. I guess culturally, that's told, you just had to do that, didn't you? Acknowledge the king's greatness and his power and his authority. And then he asks for his help, basically. He's clever, actually, in the way that he asks, isn't he? Because we know that this king has a history. Like, Jerusalem was seen as a very troublemaking city, part of the world. And um, Nehemiah doesn't actually mention the name of the city, does he? In verse 3, he says, When the city, the place of my father's grave. And again, in verse 5, he says, You sent me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave. So I think he's being very careful in the way that he brings up the fact that he wants to go and build this wall. Um, he's somewhat vague, isn't he, in where he, where it is he wants to go to? 
I guess he's had four months to think about how he's going to say this. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, and he's ready, isn't he? I mean, he he says, I want to go and rebuild it. And then the king says, how long will you be gone? And he's ready with an answer. Um, he knows what he needs. He needs letters from the governors of the province um, so that he can go through to their... Um, and someone, and also he wants to go and ask for wood um, from Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. So he's really kind of, you get the feeling, don't you, that in the four months that he was praying and fasting, he was also being wise and getting ready. And so he, when the time came to, you know, because he didn't know that the king would even notice that his face was sad. You know, we don't, we, he didn't know that that day the king would say to him, what's up? Um, so I guess he knew he probably just had to be ready and trusted God that that opportunity would come, and it did. He's quick though, isn't he, at the end of that section to credit, he doesn't credit his clever planning or his detailed working it all out, but he's really aware that the king granted his request because God's good hand was upon him. Mm -hmm. And so I guess he, it's a really interesting reflection, isn't it, on he's prayed long and hard and he's planned under God's good hand but he, it's not in his planning or in his ability that he credits the result. It's to God. I, I think that's so hard to do and so hard to live. Mm. Yeah, it's just reminded about, you know, what you said um, about the, the term he uses before the God of heaven, that he keeps even here, you know, when he has his quick prayer before he makes his request he said he prayed to the god of heaven and so it's real encouragement of that he's just keeping uh, his focus reset like that he's before like the king of persia which seems like high and mighty and very powerful and has control over his life but like he's speaking to the god of heaven who's got complete control over everything and it's just yeah just an encouragement when our situations look like pretty, uh, I don't know, like out of control or, um, yeah, with that actually God is still in complete control and yeah, we can keep praying to the God of heaven. I heard a really helpful thing by Don Carson on this and he was saying his confidence isn't in his plan or the his ability to bring this to the king, and he's got, you know, like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Mm. There's that whole understanding that God's ways and God's providences are at times a little bit enigmatic. and We don't know if God's going to use us or if God's going to bless the plans that we've made. But actually, God will accomplish his promises and will keep his covenant. And that whole four months of interceding and weeping and fasting has really sort of strengthen that confidence that God will do what's right, whether or not he uses Nehemiah. And I just find that so helpful because so often we link, don't we, God's, God has to bless our plans and he doesn't. And he might use a different means to achieve a purpose. And we might have put a lot of time and effort into something mm -hmm. that God doesn't choose to use, but that's okay because God's still going to accomplish his purposes if we have our focus right. But if it it's so hard, isn't it, to keep your heart on God's purposes and not on your part in that. Um, but I guess we see that here really clearly, don't we, that he's he's prepared to be used by God, but his confidence is in God, not in his own part of that. So 
Nehemiah then goes to Jerusalem, but before that, he takes a bit of a detour to go to the governors of the province and to give them the king's letters. And um, yeah, here we see a first bit of some kind of opposition um, that he'll um, he'll face. In this next narrative um, part, what yeah, what do we learn about the opposition um, or the enemies of um, the people of Israel? <clears throat> yeah, we meet in uh, verses 10, uh, verse 10, and then at the end of the chapter again, we see them again, verses 19 um, and 20. Uh, he interacts with Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. Um, so apparently these guys were actually part of God's people too. I was surprised by that. Like I, when I first read this, I just thought they were, you know, from other nations, but apparently, yeah, they, uh, they really should have been the kind of people that were behind what Nehemiah was doing. But they, it says in verse 10, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And then in verse 19 as well, um, they jeered at us so they're mocking and they uh, they despised us and said what is this thing that you're doing are you rebelling against the king so straight away Nehemiah is running into some pretty strong opposition um, which must have been really discouraging and just the way they're doing it like um, you know it's it's kind of easier in a way to resist opposition you know when it's when it's from your enemies, I guess, or from um, people who you think shouldn't support you anyway. But then when it's from your own kind of camp, and then also they're mocking you, they're not just like threatening your life or something, but they're actually just taking the mick out of you. I just think that must have, must have been really tough for Nehemiah. Yeah, and I guess they're threatening him, aren't they, with the king, who he knows the king really well, the king's given his blessing. But he's also aware that the king can change his mind really easily. So they, they understand his situation, don't they? And they understand his vulnerability. And so that's hard as well because they, yeah, they're speaking the language that's true and real. But I was really struck by his response to that, that actually I serve a higher king. And if we see right at the end of the chapter that it's God, the king of heaven, again, that he goes back to, who's going to be the one that um, causes this to prosper. Like, it's great that I've had King Artaxerxes' blessing to this point, but ultimately that's not where my confidence lies. Mm. So amongst this opposition, he also faces um, the challenge of rebuilding the walls and he does some inspection. And what what do we learn from sort of his uh, inspection of the walls? Do you mean about Nehemiah and the way he goes about it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I find it interesting how he did it. Like, it's very obvious that he's not kind of making a big fanfare about it. Um, it says in verse 12, I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. Um, he's not on any animal. Um, you know, this is actually quite an important person who's arriving, but he he's not that interested in bigging up himself and who he is and what he's going to do. He just really wants to see the situation for real. Um, so he goes and inspects all the things. He goes and sees the gate. Um, 
And yeah, and in verse 16, it says the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing. Um, I'd not yet told the Jews. So there's this kind of feeling that he's just quietly going in, kind of in the way that you would expect of him, a guy who quietly fasts and prays for four months. You know, he quietly goes in and, and goes and sees the situation for himself. It just kind of speaks, I think, of his wisdom um, in the way he's going about it. And he's thorough as well, isn't he? He wants to see for himself. So he goes and does a full reconnoiter, I guess we'd call it, in the middle of the night to make sure that he's clear on what the issues are and what needs to be done. So diligent as well. Mm. Yeah, and then and then from that, from his inspection, he he says to the people, um, you know, to encourage them to come and to build and encourages them um, for what God has already done for him before the king and then encourages them and strengthens them for for building and and it's really encouraging encouraging because they so then um yeah because then he says at the end as we said again the god of heavens will make us prosper and we will arise and build um yeah it's just an encouraging response to what challenges lie ahead and also in the face of opposition that the people are ready um in in that they responded in strengthening their hands for the good work i guess nehemiah brings with him a confidence doesn't he in god's big plan Mm -hmm. and he obviously he's able to communicate that to the people who've had a really hard time and he you know like he did himself he's now able to communicate that isn't he in a way that brings such a positive response from them um in the face of a really daunting task what encouragements did you find personally when reading these couple of chapters um i think for me it was an encouragement to just think about how i approach tasks like especially big tasks. i feel like uh when we're faced with a big task i think how we deal with little tasks on a day-to-day basis really shape how we do big tasks so like if on a day-to-day basis we are disciplined about bringing God into things like Nehemiah does, like praying before we do things, um, acknowledging God's uh, rulership. Is that a word? No. <laughs> acknowledging acknowledging <laughs> God's authority um, in our lives and over everything, really. And then when big things happen, it's almost natural that we're like, I cannot do this without God. Like, I need him. Um, so, like, we um, just personally, we're hoping to start a work amongst um, drug addicts where we are. Um, and it feels really, really, sometimes really overwhelming and big. And But I've actually found this chapter really encouraging because um, we, yeah, we over the last year have really tried to commit the work to prayer and just seeing and trusting that God loves these people more than we do. And then but then also there is a time to act as well. I feel like Nehemiah doesn't just step back and say, well, I'm praying for Jerusalem, but he goes to Jerusalem and he enters into the mess. But there's this kind of background of him completely trusting God with it um, and knowing that he can't do it without him. So yeah, I found that a really healthy reminder of how to go about, you know, the day-to-day small 
things we do, but also therefore the, when we're faced with big things. Yeah, I think the encouragement for me in this passage is the free, almost the freedom that God is more committed to achieving his purposes in the world than we are. Mm-hmm. And he, he's going to do that. He's going to keep faithfully the covenants that he's made. And so for us, he's going to get his people to heaven, isn't he? And into that new city and that new Jerusalem. Um, and I, of course, I want to be a servant that's faithful in that process but it's not on me. It's God that's going to do that. And at times, I it yeah, it God's church doesn't look impressive or isn't culturally very cool currently, especially in the well, in lots of places, but definitely in the UK. But actually, that was the same for this little group of people, wasn't it? And yet, they Nehemiah was faithful, and God did it. And so. Yeah, I think that's just been really encouraging to my heart that God's more committed to building his church than we are. And we can rest. There's a a real rest and freedom that comes in that, that let's be looking for what God's doing because he's at work and we can get on board with him. And and along with that, like just the that he has so many promises that he's given us that we can hold on to and we can meditate on and we can pray to him um all the different promises that he's given and he loves to hear that that and he loves to answer and um yeah just to yeah i just found it very encouraging just to hear to be able to put in more um of his word into our prayers and and he almost wants that to be changing our hearts so that we want to move us to action and move us to uh love those around us because yeah it's really the fuel for our actions is a love for god and a realization of who he is and how great he is that brings us to so so easily even before fearful things like you know that he was risking his life before the king that we can risk our lives also in dangerous situations so that um because we know that he's the one who has all the power and authority Hmm. i guess it was also striking to me well i read this let's be clear um (laughs) what a what a beautiful picture nehemiah is of jesus and how Nehemiah left a lofty position at the right-hand side of the king to go into a broken city where the work was backbreaking and hard and with lots of opposition. And just what a beautiful picture that is of Jesus who left heaven and came to do a backbreaking work to win our salvation against all, with all the opposition that Jesus faced. And yeah, just, I just thought that's a beautiful little picture, isn't it? Of what Jesus did. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so we look forward to joining you more with more of Nehemiah next week. Bye. 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 <laughs>